yes, I said nine, <laughs> of our discipleship series. And today is the last part. Um, the truth is, is this, is, is uh, every sermon is about discipleship. Amen. So anyway, so today, uh, you know, I just want to uh, basically end on that one part that we talked about is we ask, am I praying for the same reason he wants me to pray? Am I praying for the same reason he wants me to pray? And um, in that, you're going to find, I'll just go ahead and say it. Uh, you know, we've been asking, I guess, over the over the previous months now, you know, am I praying for the same reason he wants me to pray? Am I reading the Bible for the same reason he wants me to read it? Am I worshiping for the same reason he wants me to worship? And really all that boils down to one word. It's relationship. Yes? Talk to me. It's relationship. It's really easy. That's what God wants. So today, uh, I actually want to start off, and I just hope this encourages you. I want to start off by sharing a few stories of answered prayer. And, you know, if you're, you know, I like to read and I probably have read, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of stories of examples of how God answers prayer. This is, uh, you know, I don't know if this is necessarily my favorites, but it's some that's kind of stuck out with me over, uh, you know, over the years. It's kind of just built my own faith, encouraged me. So I just want to share it with you today. So uh, has anybody ever heard of a guy named Smith Wigglesworth? All right. I'm, I definitely um, am a guy that that looks looks not only now, but looks in the past and sees what we can learn. And one of the guys that that I would say is a hero in the faith that I, I look forward to meeting one day is a guy named Smith Wigglesworth. But let me uh, tell you one story, because there's definitely many about him. But th- this guy was a British uh, evangelist. Remember, he was a plumber. And uh, basically, he couldn't preach. He had a stuttering problem. And at the age of 40, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. God healed him of his stuttering. And uh, then he became a man on fire. And almost you named the miracle. It happened through him. So anyways, this is one of the stories. Uh, it says, one day a woman came to him for help uh, because her husband was an alcoholic. Uh, she explained that when he got paid, he would actually take uh, every bit of his money and he would spend it on alcohol. So this guy wasn't taking care of his wife. He was just diving every bit of the money there. Uh, it says this, in fact, he would drink so much that he couldn't work and he would have to come home. She said that, uh, this is what she was telling Smith, that she loved her husband so much, but she didn't really know what to do. And uh, I love Wigglesworth. He had a very unique personality, but his response was this. He says, if I were you, I would take a handkerchief and I would place it under his head when he went to sleep at night and say nothing to him but have faith. Somebody say, but have faith. He says, so the two of them anointed a handkerchief and prayed over it in Jesus' name. Uh, the woman went home, placed the handkerchief under her husband's uh, pillow as he went to sleep, uh, just as Wigglesworth told her to do. Now, check this out. The, the next morning, this is awesome. The next morning, her husband was on his way to work, and as kind of was his routine, uh, he stopped by a bar to get a glass of beer. Uh, except this time, when he took his first drink, uh, he thought something was wrong with the beer. So he put it down, and he went to another bar. Check this. He got to the next bar, he grabbed his beer, took a drink, same thing, something's wrong with this beer, he put it down, and he decided to go to a third bar, grabbed a beer, took a drink, something's wrong with this beer, put it down, and uh, that day, um, basically, he, he came home, and he arrived sober, right, clearly because something's wrong with the beer, and then when he got home, he told his wife how, his, how the alcohol uh, didn't affect him. It was at that point that she told him about her and Smith Wigglesworth praying for the handkerchief, her putting it under his pillow. And uh, here's what's awesome. Not only did the guy quit drinking, but he also gave his life to Jesus. Amen. Somebody say prayer works. All right. So, you know, I once again, I, I, I'm kind of fascinated. You know, obviously, we've been around a lot of people that do ministry, but I'm fascinated by one group of, of, of ministers, and that's missionaries. And uh, probably one of my favorite missionaries uh, of all time is a guy named Victor Plymeyer. And uh, most people probably don't have a clue who Victor is, uh, but if you ever get a chance to read about him, I encourage you to do so. But, but Victor was an American, and he was a missionary uh, to Tibet, a land that basically nobody wanted to go to. It's a very demonic uh, country. But let me tell you two stories, and this one's kind of rough, but I just want you to see uh, God's heart even in rough times. Okay. So basically this, while he and his family were on the mission field, a small group of outlaws started killing people and robbing towns. After a short period of time, that small group of outlaws grew to over 20,000 people. So uh, they were armed with guns, swords, spears, and everywhere they went, they left behind a trail of devastation and bloodshed. So one day, uh, news came that these evil men were headed to the town where Victor and his family lived. Instead of running, get this, instead of running, they stay behind 
uh, because they knew if these people came to the city that the people there were going to need them after all was said and done. And so in prayer, Victor's wife felt a strong impression of these words. This is what she heard in prayer. Kept by the power of God. Kept by the power of God. And uh, they felt like that phrase was a promise from heaven uh, that nothing would happen to them. And so obviously they stayed. And a few days later, at sunrise, these 20,000 men that were fully armed uh, charged their city with horses. Some were running. And uh, they burned the gate of the city. And as soon as they got through the gate, they started butchering people left and right. So watch this. Victor later wrote this. And this is kind of uh, vivid. He says, children were held up by the feet and cut in half or pulled apart. Some were carried about on spears. Not far from us, they cut both feet off of an old man. It says, when the chaos started, many people rushed to the only safe place that they knew. And that was the, the, the Plymeyer's mission or their church there among the people. And it says, Victor shoved them in various rooms and locked the door. Um, basically, they were just shoving people anywhere they could put them. And, uh, you know, in the middle of all that, they could hear the devastation outside the church because, uh, obviously, you know, people were screaming and just in fear. But so fast forward in the story, uh, the outlaws began to actually pound on the mission's gate and uh, they were demanding to be let in. And so Victor and his wife, this takes courage, they actually went to the gate and they opened it. And when they opened it, obviously, they didn't know what to expect from these cruel people. But when they opened the doors, uh, the missionaries were face to face with two uh, evil looking men. And both of them had uh, swords that was just dripping with blood. So one of the men uh, broke the silence. Now, get this. This is people that are killing all these people. Listen to what this guy said. He said, our leader sent us. We are to raise this flag over your property so that no harm will come to you and your belongings. You have nothing to fear. You understand, this is a demonic nation, okay? Very demonic. These people wasn't like they were had any clue about Jesus. And, uh, you know, there's more, there's more to the story in the sense of that there was actually people that tried to come and stay, take their stuff and they actually even stopped them. They stopped their own friends from, uh, you know, from stealing stuff. But here's what's so amazing is, is this, is that in the middle of all the chaos, God overruled uh, the, the evil intentions of those men, right? Can somebody say prayer works? Let, let me give you a, another story. Now, and this is, if you're an intercessor in here, this should uh, charge you up pretty good. But another time, uh, Victor and two of his uh, Tibetan friends, in other words, two guys he led to the Lord, uh, they found themselves on their knees in a large tent. So let me kind of back up. They're, they're literally traveling across the nation with tracks, and they're trying to witness to people. In the middle of all that, they got captured, and they were basically drugged into a tent, and they were set in front of a, a Tibetan chief. And... Uh, the Tibetan chief basically ordered uh, for the three of them to be executed. So, all right, so get this. So they're standing there. The guy's sword. They're about to kill him. And while this scene's playing out, God woke up an elderly woman who lived in Olympia, Washington. Okay? When she woke up, she had a, a strong urgency that she needed to pray. And immediately she asked God to, to show her the reason. And the answer came in a real forceful manner because it came in a vision. Listen to the vision that she got. It says, in the vision, she saw a group of men gathered together in what resembled a tent. They were dressed in long robes of skin or heavy cloth. And you'd have to see a picture of them, but that fits it. Uh, most of them had a sword tucked in their belts. More opposing, imposing than the, rest, uh, uh, than the rest was a man who sat on a low platform. That's the chief. She was seeing the chief. And it says, at his side stood three men with swords drawn as if ready for use. But on the ground sat three other men, two of whom looked like the others. They were Tibetans. But the third was of a lighter complexion and wore a leather jacket and trousers. She recognized him as a missionary that she heard speak in a church one time, uh, but she couldn't remember his name. And she actually asked the Lord, uh, you, you know, Lord, what's his name? And the Lord and the Lord spoke to her and said, pray for Mr. Plymeyer. His life is in great danger. Now, if you're an intercessor, you're just a person that prays, obviously, this should show you that, you know, we go a lot of people go, well, God's sovereign. What will be will be. No, God's looking for people to partner with him to stand in the gap so he so heaven can move. There's so much you can read the Bible that it really depended on if someone stood in the gap. So it's very important that we pray. So obviously God answered a prayer, but let's go back in Tibet. So when the chief gave the order for them to be executed, three guys grabbed the three men up and they started to take them out of the tent to kill them. Now, in the middle of all this chaos, uh, there came a guy running and he had a letter from who? Dalai Lama. Watch this. You'd have to read the whole story. It's amazing. So Dalai Lama is obviously, if you don't know much about him, in that nation, he's considered a god. And when he speaks, it's done. 
Okay, so here's what's crazy is God moved on Dalai Lama's heart because he found out by some random way that Victor Plymeyer was in danger. And he sent a letter through a runner and the runner got there just in time. And the letter basically said this. If you touch these men, I will have you killed. And so obviously, what did the chief do? He he released them. Now, here's something that's really cool. So they were free. It was the absolute protection of God. But fast forward months later, Victor Plymeyer received a letter from an elderly woman and, uh, that answered the call to prayer, the woman who lived in Olympia, Washington. She described her vision in detail, and she even placed a rough drawing of what she had seen in the letter. She, she basically showed the chief, the guards, and the prisoners, each stationed as they really were. Uh, even the description of each person's clothes was a perfect match. Victor said this. He said, if a photographer had been present, he could not have made a more accurate picture of the situation. Is that not awesome? Can somebody say prayer works? The last person I want to tell you about, this is a guy that fascinates me. His name is John G. Lake. Um, John G. Lake basically was called to Africa. He also did a lot of work in Spokane. Amazing healing ministry. But uh, one day he was in Indianapolis, uh, and he was chopping down a tree. He was helping a boy at a hotel chop down a tree. In the middle of serving this boy, God spoke to him and said, you're going to go to Africa and preach the gospel. That should tell us something about serving, right? All right, just saying. So, anyways, so him and his preaching partner uh, basically they decided to, to basically leave uh, Indianapolis and go all the way to Johannesburg, South Africa. Now, watch this. Um, basically, it t- came time for them to leave, and John said, uh, basically, John said this one day uh, that his, uh, his preaching partner ran in and he said, John, how much is it going to cost for us to go to Africa? And, uh, and he said, it's going to cost us $2,000. Obviously, it's a long time ago. It's going to cost us $2,000. And, uh, and he, goes, um, he goes, have you been praying? And John said, look, I've been praying from the, since the new year, but I haven't heard anything yet. Uh, and, the, and this Barton partner goes, never mind that. Let's pray again. So a few days later, his friend comes running in, and he throws out on the table four or $500 drafts uh, that equal $2,000 and said, look, John, we're going to Africa. You understand that this guy went to the post office just to check their mail, and he found in the mail $2,000. Now, here's what's awesome. God, God spoke to a man in California that none of them knew. A guy was in prayer. The Lord spoke to him and said, I need you to send John G. Late $2,000. He wrote it sent $2,000. That's pretty awesome, huh? Now, watch this. Let's fast forward in the story. Let me not worry about all that. Watch this. So... Basically, when once they, you know, there was tons of miracles in this, but they were they were totally spent. Okay, in other words, they almost spent every dime that they had to get to a certain part. These guys are on the boat with their families, and they're crossing the uh, the ocean. And uh, they all knew that when they got to the harbor, when they landed, uh, they were going to have to show $125, that they had $125 to their name to be able to get off the boat. The only problem was is they only had a dollar fifty. Okay, so when it came time to Came time to board. Sure enough, the immigration inspector uh, walked up on the boat. And, and I, so what John did is John lined up with all the other uh, people, right, getting ready to present his money. And his wife said this. He said, her his wife said, what are you going to do? Knowing that they only had $1.50. He said, I'm going to get in line. Uh, I'm going to get, I'm going to go in line with the rest of them. He says, we have obeyed God thus far. It is now up to the Lord. If they send us back, we cannot help it. So watch this. So he's standing in line, obviously. He's going, going, and then some man walks over to him, taps him on the shoulder, asks him to come over to the railing with him, and they go stand by the rail. The guy asks him a few questions. He pulls out of his pocket $200 and gives it to him. Are you with me? Now watch this. It's pretty awesome, too. So once they land, obviously they're in Cape Town. Now they've got to go to Johannesburg, South Africa, right? They've got to, they got to travel. And uh, many times over that trip from Cape Town to Johannesburg, they told the Lord, Lord, look, you know when we get there, we're going to need a place to live. I love that. I want you to understand. Here's something I do want you to learn in this. So often we refuse to step out with God unless everything's already in place. Instead of just obeying what we heard and moving forward and letting God really go before us. But I love what he said here. He said, he said, we are faith missionaries. We had neither a board nor friends behind us to furnish money. We were dependent on God. Because this guy was an insurance salesman. He was actually a very rich insurance guy. And, uh, and he took basically two months off to go preach the gospel. And God changed him so much in that two months, he walked away from every bit of that life. You got to understand, at the turn of the century, the guy was making $50,000 a year. Big money back then. 
So anyway, so here he is, you know, he doesn't have any backing and God's literally providing every step of the way. And what's so amazing about their story is, is all throughout that they're also giving left and right to people who have needs. So they anyway, so they show up to Johannesburg and uh, and I love the fact that they said as they were praying, finally, God just came with a peace in their heart and said, hey, don't worry about it. I got you. So they show up to Johannesburg and they see this woman bustling around. She keeps going to people and she comes up to them and she goes, are you American missionaries? And he said, yes, we are. She said, how many people in your family? He said, it's me, my wife, and our seven children. Jesus, help me. Seven. So, so seven children. She said, oh, you're the one. She said, God spoke to me. He told me to give you a house. So that day, they literally um, had a fully furnished house in the suburbs of Johannesburg. Are you with me? Say, so, yeah, prayer works, right? So, so all right. So anyways, uh, to kind of move on. I don't want to keep rambling here, but. But when I hear those stories, I don't know about you, but it increases faith in my heart. Yes. Uh, you know, when I hear those stories, it's, it's such an encouragement, encouragement that God hears me when I pray. It's also blows my mind to go, man, he's real. He's faithful. He's personal. Is anybody with me? But but there's something else that happens in my heart when I read those stories and a hundred others uh, just like it is I stop and I ask the question, why? And I go, why did God answer those people's prayer? You ever do that? You know, it's like this. I, it's in a roundabout way. I go, what made these people think they had a right? Maybe maybe in the better word I want to use is where did they get the audacity to think that they could pray to God and he would actually hear them and then he would answer. Are you all feeling me? Yes, I believe the answer is found there in John chapter 15. I want to show you a verse here. Can I all say that to get where we're going here? Verse seven. It says this, if you turn to your neighbor, say he's talking to you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. That means you will ask what you have in mind and it shall be done for you. Or it actually says this, it shall come to pass. If you abide, if you abide, see those people, if it was Wigglesworth, if it was Victor Plymeyer, if it was John G. Lake and his prayer partner, every one of those people realized that they that there was a secret with abiding with God. Yes. You, you see, when we abide with God, we can ask with confidence. Amen. Listen, it's from that position that we understand that if we ask, we shall receive. If we seek, we shall find. If we knock, the door will be what? It'll be open. It's that place of confidence. You see, when we abide, and I hope you understand this today, but when we abide, we know that there's more to salvation than just the forgiveness of sin. Yes, when we abide, we realize that forgiveness was never the purpose of salvation. It was only the byproduct of it. You see, when we when we abide with God, we realize that he didn't seek sin. He sought us. Yes. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 19:10. It says, for the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Sin was not lost. We were lost. Amen. Listen, it says in Ephesians 2:14 that sin was just a middle wall of separation that had to be broken down so God could get to us. Aren't you glad? Listen, when we abide, we understand that Jesus didn't die. Hear me, folks, so we could kick a few bad habits or so we could feel better about ourselves. Jesus died so we could know him. He doesn't want our sin. He wants our hearts. He wants our love. He wants our devotion. Turn to your neighbor and say he wants you. So listen, when we abide, we realize that we were created for intimacy. We will realize that we are called to abide in his presence and we are literally called to abide in relationship. Amen. So listen, Adam and Eve, what did they lose in the garden? They lost relationship. Jesus came as the second Adam to bring us back into relationship. It's pretty easy. Jesus said this in John 17, three, because I want to read this because there's so many people that that they get saved and go, "Woo, I'm forgiven. I go to heaven one day. And the only thing they can think about is the day they die. And that's and that's as far as it goes. But Jesus said in John 17, three, he said, he said this, this is eternal life that they may know you. Is that is that something that's future? Is that something that's now to understand that at this moment we are walking in eternal life? And it's to do what? To know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So all those people, the reason they ask is because they had relationship that was forged through the prayer closet. Let me go ahead and interject something here. When I was um, 19 years old, my youth pastor that was before this, he said something that I strongly disagree with. Disagree with it that day and I disagree with it to this day. But he said this, okay, he said, 
He said, Quentin, if you, and he named this guy named Derek, I won't say his last name for some of you guys that may go look at my Facebook. All right. So anyways, he, he said, he said, if you and Derek pray and Derek prays five minutes a day and you pray an hour a day at the end of the year, both of you will be in the same place with God. Watch this. Let, let's just get real simple. If I spend five minutes a day talking to my wife and Bob spends an hour a day talking to Marion, who's going to be closer to their wife at the end? Let's get really simple here, right? So the bottom line is it's fellowship, it's relationship. There's no way. But, you know, listen, there's something inside of us that's got to be uh, unsatisfied with just these quick moments. And we've got to understand what it means to abide, to actually remain in his presence with him. Amen. So I want to connect this morning. I want to connect John 15, 7 uh, to probably one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. I love this verse. This verse has absolutely wrecked my life. And um, and it challenges me to the core even to this day. But probably about, I don't know, maybe four years ago, God started messing with me about this verse really hard. And, um, and he's, I don't think he's quite done yet. But if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead. I want you to flip there. Psalms 91, verse 1. Psalm 91, verse 1. Y'all doing all right? Psalm 91. Most of you guys know this, I'm sure. We kind of said everything to get to this point. So now we're starting. Okay. Here we go. Psalm 91, verse 1. It says, He who dwells. Somebody say dwells. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. When this began to stir in my heart, I was actually in our Saturday night prayer meeting at our church in North Carolina. And I was walking around and I was praying. Uh, I, I, kept, I kept seeing those two words, dwell and abide, dwell and abide, dwell and abide. And I kept seeing that verse and it kept stirring and rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling in me. Has, let me ask you this. Has God ever messed with you where it's just like you can't get something off your mind? Yes. So this thing's rolling around in my heart. And I finally said, OK, look, I, I, I got to think you're trying to tell me something. So I, I decided to leave the prayer meeting. I went to my office and I and I whipped out the good old strong coordinates. And I said, OK, God, uh, what are you trying to tell me? And I looked at these words in their Hebrew meaning and and I was absolutely shocked by what I read. Now, when I started reading for the word dwell, and that's the really one we're going to focus on, I saw this dwell means this. It means to remain to stay permanently, to settle, to sit, to live. To remain, to stay permanently, to settle, to sit, to live. And I thought, God, okay, that's good. But I expected that. Yes? In other words, I already knew in my head that, I, that I'm not supposed to be a stranger because a stranger doesn't belong in the prayer calls. I realized I wasn't a guest because a guest is a person who can't really let their hair down. Yes. So I realized that God's calling me to this place to belong. But I kind of said, OK, God, that's normal. I, what, you know, are you trying to tell me something here? But, but then I got to the very last word of that definition. And, and it was the word of this. And this is what absolutely blew me away. I wasn't ready for it. And, and hopefully I'm going to communicate this OK today. But the word was this to Mary. M-A-R-R-Y to Mary. And I was like, OK, and, and I don't know if you've ever had those moments where it's like God just goes <laughs> and he just sticks it there. And you're like, hmm, OK. And I, you know, and I remember just, you know, walking out there and I didn't have a clue what he was trying to say, but I knew it had to do with that. And over basically, you know, the next little bit, God began to open that up for me. And I realized this and, and I hope this makes sense, but. But I come to realize that the union of marriage, we all know, was set in place for many reasons. Uh, but one of those reasons was to give you and I a mental template of what spiritual union with God is really supposed to look like. That this natural union with a husband or a wife was a mental template to give us a spiritual union so we can understand what's supposed to look like with God. Let, let me explain. We all know Genesis 2.24. I'll say it today in the wedding. Uh, that will do. But it says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Random thought here. But did Jesus, the son of man, did he not leave his heavenly father so that he could become the bridegroom so that we could become the bride? Are we not one with him? 
Did we not leave everything to cling to him? And are we not called to have intimacy with him? You understand this this mental picture that we have. Obviously, we get, you know, everything gets convoluted because we're working out of our flesh and working into the new man. And God, uh, for some crazy reasons, chooses our spouse to change us more than anybody. Yes. That's a great place to say amen, guys. I was trying to help you show your wife that you're listening. All right, here we go. So anyways, amen, Jen. Amen. All right. So listen, there we go. So, listen, I also realized another thing, and this is really what I, I was saying amen to you, by the way. So, anyways, so I also realized this. Watch this. Just as our society has lost sight of what a real marriage is supposed to look like, so has the church lost sight of what a real relationship with God is supposed to look like. Okay, now listen, I'm not talking about homosexuality. We all know we don't agree with that, right? Sin. We love the people. God loves them, but he does not accept the sin. All right? So, that's another day. But what I'm talking about is basically how uh, a man and a woman functions together. Okay, now here's what I'm talking about. More and more in our nation, and I guarantee you all of us probably know, uh, someone who has participated in a thing that's come, that's come to be known as common law. Okay, common law, obviously there's different lengths of time, uh, you know, around the, around the nation. But, but it basically boils down to this. A man and a woman want to live together, um, you know, and after time, basically, our government says, you know, because you've lived together for X amount of time, we now consider you as husband and wife. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. This isn't throw rocks at anybody, by the way. But let me tell you what's really taking place in that moment. Uh, that man and that woman, we really get down to the bottom line truth. That man and that woman, they want the benefits of being married, but they're unwilling to make the commitment. Yes. So because there is commitment. <laughs> yes. So, listen, for lack of better words, we have what you call common law Christians in the church today. Now, here's what we mean. There's people that want the benefits of living with Jesus, but they're unwilling to make the commitment to him. I'm making sense to you. Understand that through Psalms 91, okay? The point is basically is this, is God wants us to be committed to the secret place. That's what he was telling me. Son, I want you to be committed to the secret place. He who dwells. I don't need you. Once again, it's, it's yes, it's remained permanently, but he put it in a context so I would understand that with my wife, there is no other lover. With him, there is no other lover. It's me and him. I love him more than everyone. Yes? Am I making sense? So let's look at this again, okay? Psalm 91, verse 1. It says, He who dwells, or he who is committed to the secret place of the Most High. We're going to get really practical here. What is the secret place? The word secret simply means this. It means several things. It means covering. It means other things. But the one I want to focus on, it actually means hiding place. So he who is committed to the hiding place, the idea is that it's private or it's a, it's a secluded location. It's a place where nobody knows. Right? And it's a place that's designed for you and I to meet with God. So through the Bible, we see again and again and again that even Jesus had a secret place. Yes? Look at Mark 125. It says this. It says, now in the morning, I hate that part, having risen a long while before daylight. I hate that part even more. All right. Now, in the in the morning, thank God he doesn't slumber. And if I pray at two o'clock in the morning, he is so game. All right. All right. So now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, to a private place, to a hidden place, to a secret place. And there he what? He prayed. Now, this may not even need to be said, but just simple facts. If God himself, Jesus, God in the flesh, if he needed to pray, how much more do we? You, you, know, you, know, you know, one thing that I'm so fascinated by is, let me say this, I was around another minister day, uh, the other day, great brother, okay, great guy, pastor of the church here in town, and... Uh, you know, and I'm not saying he believed this, but there's so many people that are that are basically in that circle that they literally believe that, you know, you know, what will be will be, you know, pretty much. It, we, we don't really need to pray. We just need to kind of honor God. We need to read the Bible a whole lot, but we really don't need to pray. And, and, and the issue I have with that, watch this, is, you know, and, and there's this mindset that everything we find is, is every is in the word. And I understand that God never contradicts the word, but God does still speak personally. Right. And in other words, he says, in other words, let me, let me say it this way. 
I cannot read the Bible and go, God, who am I supposed to marry and find a name? Are you following me? Jennifer is not in the Bible. If I was waiting on Jennifer, I, I would not be married. Are you feeling me? I can't look, I can't look in the Bible and go, uh, you know, Lord, am I supposed to move to Maine? Now, obviously, there are scriptures that come. We all get that. I'm kind of dumbing it down there a little bit. But, but watch this. Even Jesus, if you, look at, if you look at the Old Testament, and we know everybody in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus, but nowhere in the Old Testament does it give the name of the 12 disciples. Right? Even Jesus himself, the Bible says that he departed from everyone and he went and spent the night in prayer. And the next day he went and he chose the 12. Are you with me or chose some of them? Are you following me? He even even God in the flesh had to get leading from the father's heart and the father's will for his life. Guess what? So do we. Yes. So so Jesus not only had a secret place, but he also taught us how to position ourselves in the secret place. Once again, super practical. I do want you to turn there. Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six. We're going to start off in verse six. Now, let me kind of add this here. If you if you look a few verses down, uh, you, you'll find what is known as the Lord's Prayer. OK, so just a, just a, a thought here. OK. Matthew chapter 6, we'll look at verse 6. Just a thought here. Before, if you can notice, before Jesus taught them how to pray, he first taught them where to pray. Okay? Please understand that. And, and, and if Jesus is going to take the time to teach us where to pray, then it's got to be important. Yes? All right, so Matthew 6, 6. Here we go. It says, but you, somebody say the word when. I'm going to say it like you mean it. Say When? says, but you when, not if. So here's God himself expecting us to do what? To pray. So it says, but you, when you pray, go into your room or go into your secret place. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. One more time. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I mentioned a few things about this last week, but I actually want to sit here for a few minutes. The first two words I want you to notice is this. The words you and the word go. The word you and go. It says, what does it say? Once again, look at it. But you, when you pray, go. All right? So the word you there, it places responsibility on the individual. Right? So in other words, here's the king of heaven. He is placing responsibility on you personally. It's why we call it a personal relationship, right? And then the next word was go. That's an action word, right? It's a choice that we need to make. So put those together. That means this, that we have to take personal responsibility for our prayer life. No one can make us pursue a committed and consistent relationship with God, not even him himself, not even God himself. Do you all understand that? Not even God himself can make you pray. But he has given you, once again, it's, a, it's, a, it's the, um, in my opinion, the greatest act of love that he gave us a free choice. That, that, he, that he chose personally uh, not to make us robots and not to make us, force us to do things. Based on a creature, create you with a free will, it's up to you. Because, uh, you know, once again, you guys that have great friends, you guys that have children, there, there's probably a few things in life um, that mean as much as when they say, I love you. And there's no agenda attached, and it's not, and it's not conjured up that you force them to tell it, tell you that. You know, there's something about when my kids uh, run to me and hop in my lap, kiss me on the cheek, say, "Daddy, I love you." And, you know, but that's what worship is, right? So, so you know, listen. Why is that trade in us once again? Because we're created in His image. God loves it when we want to be with Him. Amen. All right, so. Let me, let me even say this. I've said this several times since we've been here, and I don't know why I keep saying it, but I'm going to keep saying it until I feel like I don't need to anymore. Um, nobody can want this more than you for you. Okay? And maybe this is because I spent so many years doing youth ministry and seeing parents who wanted their kids to be something. Most of them wanted their kids to be good, not godly. Okay? But, but the ones who really want their kids to be godly, uh, I, f- I found that a lot of them wanted it so bad for their kids. And sometimes the kids were interested, sometimes they weren't. But there's something that has to happen, has to spark in their own individual that says, i got to go meet with God. Yes? And, you know, and over the years, I've seen, I've seen people who, uh, I've, seen, I've seen teenagers who willingly, willingly, no 
you know, no parent Mason will, will literally come home and go spend hours with Jesus. It's those kind of kids that's fun to minister to. Amen. So, so literally, when, when kids in their own free will go, hey, hey, you know what, you, you guys are my buddies. Hey, let's get together. And we're not going to go to the movies. We're not going to go do some party. We're going to worship. That's pretty cool. Yes. So, you know, it's okay to do that as adults, too, by the way. Just saying. Yes. I mean, can you imagine if we decide to get together? We say, hey, come over tonight. We're just going to worship. It'd be really good. Just a, sowing a little seed there. That's it. Just a little seed. So, anyways. All right. So, all right. So, next words I want you to notice here. Okay. So, look back at the verse. It says, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door. Somebody say, shut the door. All right. Why did Jesus tell us to shut the door? I believe it's because of two reasons. Once again, this is so simple, so practical. We just got to make a choice to do it. The first one is this. is by shutting our door, we are shutting out all distractions. We are shutting out all distractions. If your home is anything like mine, uh, you know, even the bathroom's not a safe place for that, right? So, but listen, that we need to shut out all distractions. There's something about going to a room and shutting the door, and my spouse is on the other side of that wall. My kids are on the other side of that wall. Listen, the telephone is on the other side of that wall. The ability to text, the ability to have updates, and all these things coming to your phone is on the other side. In other words, it's anything that would stop me from giving him my undivided attention is on the other side of that wall. I am shutting the door, and I'm shutting out all the distractions. Are you with me? The second reason is uh, so simple. In fact, let me say this. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me tell you why this is really important. Because different environments have different atmospheres. This is really important, okay? Because different environments have different atmospheres. How many of you guys know, let me kind of explain, that the atmosphere at a football game is different than the atmosphere at a library? If you act like you, know, in a, you, know, like you would act at a football game in a library, you're going to get thrown out, right? So, you know, a football game, you're expected to scream and cheer and holler and shout and all this stuff. And at the library, you're expected to act like, you know, you know, like, you know, you drop a book and you're embarrassed because everybody looks at you, that kind of stuff, you know, whatever. So, you know, the atmosphere of, the, you know, a second period English class is different than the atmosphere at a concert. Yes. So li- listen, let me maybe say it this way. Try to pray effectively and intimately at a Patriots game. Oh, Jesus. Just, you know, so, you know, do, do me a favor. Try to go into deep prayer at Rennie's sometime. Try to go in deep prayer, you know, on the frozen aisle section of Hannaford's. You know, try to get intimate with the Lord right there. People are going to think you're crazy, right? Yes. Just do me a favor today after church. Just go lay down, be prostrate for the Lord. Jesus, we love you. Okay. See how long time it. See how long it takes them to throw you out. Okay. Come back and tell us. All right, here we go. Anyways, so listen, the environment or the surroundings of your prayer closet, please get this. If you don't hear anything else I just said in that area, hear this. The environment or the surroundings of your prayer closet will determine the atmosphere or the spiritual climate of your prayer closet. Let me say it again. The surroundings of your prayer closet will determine the spiritual climate of your prayer closet. Okay? That, that's why, let, let me say this to you, maybe to make it simple, more practical. Do you ever notice the difference between when you really go and shut your door and pray and then when you're in the shower praying or when you're in the car praying? Do you notice the difference? Yes, no, talk, yes, give me a bobblehead at least, all right? Even if it's an unsure one, I don't know, you know, do it, okay? So, listen, there's a difference, all right? So, the second thing here is, uh, so the first one is we shut out all the distractions. The second one is, is we shutting our, we're shutting ourselves in with God, so, listen, I, I cannot tell you how many times, kind of getting ahead of myself, but I say this, when you shut the door, you shut out all distraction in that moment, I'm shutting myself in with him. And, and by that simple act of shutting the door, get this, we are placing ourselves in the secret place. Do you understand that? By shutting that door, we, we are entering into the secret place. And by faith, watch this, when we shut our door, I believe God opens his door, and the very room that we're standing in becomes the throne room of heaven. Do you get that? I'm telling you, I cannot tell you how many times, y'all may think I'm weird, it's okay, but in North Carolina I had an office that was downstairs in the house, and I would shut that door, and I cannot tell you how many times when I turned around, I felt like I was entering into a different world. 
It looked, it looked like my room, but the atmosphere was so different because I was making a decision. Papa, Daddy, I'm shutting out all this. I'm shutting myself in with you. And he would meet me there. Are you all following me today? Listen, and I literally felt like at that moment I was standing in the throne room of God. Now, we, we've all heard Hebrews 4.16. It says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. I understand spiritually, according to Ephesians, that we are seated in heavenly places. Now, my feet may touch this ground, but spiritually I'm at the right hand of the Father. I get that. But there's something about when heaven comes down here, and once again, the very room I'm in is the throne, and I come boldly before Him. Yes? All right. Fast forward there in the Scripture. Notice it says this. This is so good. It says, In your Father who is in the secret place... And your father, when you shut your door, it says, and your father who is in, who is in, who is, let me say it this way, who is already in the secret place. Here's the truth that Jesus was trying to show us. That when we shut out, the, when we shut the door, we shut out all distractions, shut ourselves in with God. Once again, we kind of already said it. But, but at that moment, we find out that he is already there. In fact, he has been waiting for us for the very moment that we would shut our door. You get that? That's how much he longs to be with us. You, you know, I, I've told you guys this story in the past, but um, and this may be a little new to some of you guys, and it's okay. If I didn't trust the people it would come from, I wouldn't tell you. But I have some really good friends that are that are missionaries. Their daughter went to um, I almost don't even want to say what university she went to because it's so bad. She, she went to Auburn University. Anyway, that's our rival. If you don't know anything about football, so anyways. But uh, roll tide, right? We won championship. Hope y'all noticed. And so it's big. Patriots got close last night. Anyways, so so anyways, so she is there at Auburn University, and this and this girl, you know, grew up in an atmosphere where, as a family, they 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 spent much 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 time in the secret place. And, you know, she's at school trying to get her degree. And you guys that have been to college, you know, you can get super busy with all the classes, all the homework and all this stuff. And she said literally one day she was sitting in her in a room. And, you know, you you know, the commentary, you know, you have the bathroom, everybody kind of shares. And, and she was sitting there uh, with all these people. And, the, and she kept hearing Jesus call her name. She kept hearing her call her name. And she she walked and went through the bathroom, kind of went to the area where nobody was at. And she saw Jesus. Here's this 20 year old girl. She saw Jesus stand in front of her. And Jesus was crying. And she said, Jesus, why are you crying? Once again, I believe this wholeheartedly because I know these people, okay? She said, Jesus, why are you crying? And she said, and he said this. He said, because I keep asking people to come spend time with me and nobody wants to. And, here's what, and she said, Jesus, I want to be with you. And she said, literally, the presence of God fell in the room. Folks, he longs to be with us. Amen? I don't know about you, but listen, you know, I know that girl, Okay? And, and when I heard that story, it jacked me up because it made me question my own heart. Go, Jesus, do I really, do, you, you know, l- listen, and l- let me tell you why this is so important. Because so many of us, we, we pray because it's crisis moments. We pray because there's a need. And we forget the fact that he just wants to do life. He just wants to have a relationship. He just wants us to spend time with him. Some of the best prayer times is when we don't have anything to say. Yes? When we don't have anything to ask, but we just know he's there. And it's just good to be with him and tell him that we love him. Amen. This is really, I guess, maybe the point that I want to say right here about your father already being there. I just want to be confident. And when all this kind of came to life for me, I spent a lot of time spending in a prayer closet, just being vulnerable and honest with you. I was going, God, where are you at? God, please come. And I was so caught up with the feeling of... You know, can I feel you today? Instead of just realizing by faith that when I shut my door, he's there. And I can't tell you how many times when I'm now coming and when I shut that door. And there's times I even say that if I'm even in this room, I'll say, Father, I come to you today. And I may not grab a, uh, you know, a natural door, but, I, you know, God, I shut the door and I, and I choose to put myself in the secret place. And I'm not looking for something, but I can't tell you how many times that he comes anyways. And I feel him. And what's happened is, and me personally, is just by the revelation and the understanding of that, I'm not looking for that anymore just because I have confidence that he's there. And I, and I can pray and not necessarily worry about if it's hitting the ceiling and falling back down to me. He, he's there. I'm good. Am I making sense? In other words, it's this, that, that it, it took me from a position of, of wanting to feel everything to a position of faith. And that's really where we're called to live. All right. So the last part I want you to notice. 
Y'all hang in there with me, okay? The last part I want you to notice here is the bottom part there in Matthew 6. It says, And your Father who sees, who sees in secret will reward you openly. I love that. Your Father who sees in secret. Remember, He is everywhere and He sees all things, right? And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Somebody say reward. Listen to these two verses. It says, but without faith, this is Hebrew eleven six. but without faith is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. It's a position of faith. It says, and that he is what? That he is a rewarder of those. Please don't miss the last three words of that because that's where it's really at. Of those who diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. In essence, if you can tie that in with Psalms 91, that is those who are committed to the secret places, those who diligently seek him. Let, let, me, maybe, let me maybe throw this out there at you really fast, okay? Um, all right, let's say, let's say uh, here, I'll just pick on the younger people here, okay? Um, whatever. Let's say uh, Austin, okay? Sorry, dude. Let's say uh, we brought Austin up to the front, and if somehow, you know, like in those game shows, whatever, pull back that curtain, you know? And they pull back the curtain, and there's just a, 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 a just a big heap of just nasty trash. I mean, it's like we went to everybody's house, grabbed the you know trash, and we all dumped it in that spot, and it's just filthy and stinky. And you, you, know, you know how your trash can is, right? Right? You know what you try to hide before everybody comes over. All right. So, so anyway, so if you can just imagine this massive pile of trash, and I look at Austin, I say, Austin, we've hit a million dollars in there, son. A million dollars. I don't know about you, but listen, we could do a lot with a million dollars. I would fully expect him to go get it, right? So say that every bit of that's yours if you can find it. And you have 20 minutes to find it. How many of you guys know that that kid would become absolutely undignified? He, he, everybody would. That's right. It's like, I don't care how I spend Listen, I could come out with a chicken bone stuck in my hair. I don't care. Right? I'm going to find me a million dollars. And so, so listen, it's, it's that kind of mindset of what it really means to diligently seek him. That, man, i got to go get him. Yes? So, once again, going back, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Somebody say reward. How does he reward us? Genesis 15.1. I said this last week, but to give you a verse. It says, Abraham, this is God talking to Abraham, or Abram. Abram, I am your shield. If we can add there, I am your exceedingly great reward. So when we talk about how does God reward us openly, he rewards us by his presence. He rewards us by his favor on our lives. He rewards us by, have you ever looked at somebody and went like this, man, there's just something different about them. And in fact, the touch of God is on their life. You know, I'll say it, I'll say it this way, not to embarrass anybody, but, you know, we go to the pitch, you know, pretty often every week. And I can't tell you how many people just randomly in there because, you know, my kids are doing something. But there's a purpose why we're there for me. Anyways, okay, I'm sitting down. I have an opportunity with old mom or dad, whoever. I'm just chit-chatting with people. And I can't tell you how many times you're just chit-chatting with people that I've heard them say, you know, I've, there's just something so different about Robbie and Tammy. I haven't even told them that. But, but I, I'm telling you, I've heard that repeatedly. Being there, there's just something different about them. And some people who have gotten to know them said, oh, now I know why, because they're Christians. But, but even people who don't even know that just see that there's something different. And the reason is the more I get to know them is because I know they're people who know what it means to dwell in the secret place. And God is literally rewarding them openly in front of these people by giving them influence and favor with them. Am I making sense to you? Yes. L- listen, I, I remember personally... I had one summer in my life when, you know, I was a single guy and I traveled with an evangelist and we, we went to youth camps. And so every week, you know, literally every week was just praying, um, you know, ministering to people, laying hands on people, praying for them. And I'll tell you, that summer, you know, and obviously I've seen plenty since, but just the fire of God falling. Just, I mean, just, just God moving and sweeping through auditoriums and changing kids' lives. And I remember we were on one of our trips and uh, we were actually doing a Sunday morning service. It wasn't a week that we were at camps with kids. And I was sitting in a hotel room. Sorry, I was sitting in a hotel in the hallway. And uh, because, anyways, kind of like all of us were uh, kind of gathering, right? So I'm just sitting there, you know, whatever, leaned up against the wall, kind of like this. And this guy walks up to me from, from my right. And he goes, excuse me, can you pray for me? Can you tell me about Jesus? Now, here's what's wild. That guy got arrested 10 minutes later 
because he was because he had uh, basically uh, cracked on him, and, and he was high. But even in the middle of all of that, you understand that guy was probably from me to that wall over there when he started talking to me. And I'm just some random dude sitting in the hallway. But I just believe because I've submitted myself and committed myself to the secret place that the favor of God and the touch of God is on my life. That even if a guy in that spot, he could recognize God's glory on my life. Are you all following me? L- listen, I was, in, I was in Mardi Gras in New Orleans, down in Jackson Square, 18 years old. Fresh into this thing, maybe six months saved. Okay, but, but once again, our lives were so much... Go be with God. Go be with God. We spent a lot of time praying, a lot of time fasting. And I remember sitting there, and I looked at a woman who was a palm reader. Now, you understand, if you, if you don't know much about Mardi Gras, just, just imagine, it, it, man, it's brutal. I mean, they're just sin just wide open. I mean, I, I, won't, I won't even you know, entertain the stories. I mean, I, I tell you, but it was rough, okay? And I came walking by this woman, and I said, and she was sitting down at her little table, and I said, How you doing, ma'am? And she screams at me. In fact, the demon is I ever screamed, stop judging me. She recognized who? Him. The reward. The rewarder. His touch on my life. Yes? Hey, listen, last one. And I mean, I could tell you a lot of these stories. Jen and I were traveling from Lafayette, Louisiana, where we used to live. We were going uh, to my mom's house in Birmingham. It's about a six and a half hour ride, and we were like almost there. There's like this stretch of highway. It's uh, Highway 79, and it's just basically old country road, uh, two lane road. We're driving, and I see this car. It's like 11:30 at night. It's pulled off the side of the road, flashers on, and the guy's doing this. Every indicator from past would be like, "Keep on moving." But something happened, and, and it was and so I I took a ride at the old Easy Pack liquor store, right? And I turned around. And Jim's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm thinking, I don't even know what I'm doing. And I drive, and I drive back, and I pull off the side of the road, and I get out. And, you know, here I am. I'm a little fella, you know. It's like, hey, you know, whatever, uh, you know. I'm a little guy. So I get out, and I come walking to this guy, and he is so drunk. And he is crying, and he's saying, and he starts saying, uh, you know, I ran out of gas. Can you help me? I need to call my mom. I need to. He's like 40 years old. I'm like, you going to call your mom? You know, anyways, so I remember I started talking to the guy, just something came inside. It's Jesus moment. And I realized, OK, it's a it, it, this is a this is a setup. It's a God encounter moment. Let's go. And, you know, Jen's in the car writing down the license plate, you know, GK, something. <laughs> and praying. Appreciate that. Like, Jesus, protect my, you know, I don't even know if we were I think we were engaged at the time. Protect him. God, he's so stupid. Protect, you know, whatever. And so. And so I'm talking to the guy. I'm standing in front of him. And I remember grabbing and laying hands on that guy and praying, Jesus, like that. He went from drunk to sober. Gone. And he left. And then, then the story came out. My girlfriend, blah, 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 blah. I filled up gas at this place. We're like five miles down the road. He said, I, I basically got a case. I got drunk. I was just going to hit an 18-wheeler. I was going to kill myself. Are you following me? That, he, was, he was driving down. Driving as fast as he could, looking for an 18-wheeler just to hit. And he ran out of gas. He just filled up. He ran. You're talking about Jesus. Okay. And the guy starts grabbing the beer and just slinging the woods. I didn't talk to him about littering. I was just glad he was slinging it. You know, he was throwing it in the woods. Whatever. A guy hopped in our car, and I took him home. Sat down with his mama. You know, old Methodist lady. She was so fed up with him. But she'd been praying. Yeah, but listen, divine encounter. But listen, when you abide with God, God gives you those moments. Are you following me? Where the supernatural really happens. He's not dead. He's alive. Amen. Amen. I really got to hustle. Here we go. All right. All right. So bottom line, God rewards you himself. All right. Now, let's revisit Psalms 91 real fast and we'll land this thing. It says he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall. Somebody say shall. Folks, that's a guarantee from heaven. When heaven guarantees something, you can bank on it. Amen? But if you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, you can have a guarantee that you will remain, that you will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The word shadow there actually means uh, hovering over in a protective way. This is so good. Please get this. That when we, when we position ourselves again and again in the secret place, 
with God, when we do life with Him there in relationship, because that's really what prayer is. Why does God want us to pray? Are we praying for the same reason? So we can know Him. And when we put ourselves to know Him, guess what? He puts us under His shadow, under His hovering protection. Amen? So, listen, let me kind of give you uh, an... Uh, the story that when this came to life for me, once again, I told you this verse was messing with me for some time. We were in pre-service prayer in, in North Carolina for our youth service, and we would pray several hours before we would, before we would um, you know, have service every week. And so, um, awesome times. Man, awesome times. Jesus came so much. But I was praying one day, and Michaela at the time was about two years old. That's her oldest kid. And she was a toddler, and she was just running. You know, you can't control those things, right? And um, anyway, so they're just, she's just running all over the place, climbing under chairs, climbing on top of chairs, doing her thing. And as I was praying, I just kind of kept watching her. And I'd kind of, you know, just kind of keep an eye on her in case she went that way. And I, so I was just watching. And in the middle of that moment, the Lord said to me, he goes, he goes that's, that's what it means when I hover over my children. That literally that he is watching us. And, and understand the, the, the context here. It actually means that he does not leave us defenseless. But he is, he, he is at our defense in that moment. And he's watching to make sure, are you okay? You good? Okay, I'm going to protect you. And it's just the, in that moment, that glimpse of seeing the loving heart of Father God. Yes, am I making sense to you today? So watch this. Um, whose shadow are we under? You've you got to get this word here. We're in the shadow of the Almighty because I'm not much for my kid at the end of the day. I'm limited, right? But, but he's the Almighty. Here's listen what Almighty means. I love this. It means all-powerful. This next one's awesome. Mighty, unconquerable. I didn't make these up, okay? All-powerful, mighty, unconquerable. Get it? Nobody can beat him, okay? The all-sufficient God, and this is my favorite part. That, that the Almighty means this, that He is eternally capable of being all that His people need. That He, the Almighty, under the shadow of the One who is eternally capable of being all that His people need. So the question is, is who, who might we need Him to be? If He's healer, He's healer, right? That's what we need. If we need a guide, He's guide. If He's the one that gives love and acceptance and approval, He's that. Uh, guess what? He's the Prince of Peace, right? He's the giver of peace. He's provider. He's the giver of wisdom. Folks, He is all in all. He is the great I Am, right? And He is, listen, He is longing to reward you with that. With that. That He is hovering over you in all that He is watching you. I hope that makes sense to you. But that's, listen, if I can give any picture, I feel like I'm, once again, it's so hard to go, here's God, Oh, yeah, yeah, how, give it a go, right? But if you can imagine the prayer closets where you take the key and unlock the door and open it up and then heaven comes. Why wouldn't you want to go there? Why wouldn't you want that? Yes, but once again, it, because he's a good dad, he's not going to force you to come get all of that. You know, Jen and I were watching a movie the other day and, and, this, and this kid in the movie was like really down and out and the dad tried to give him money. He said, I don't want your money. That's what you're saying to God when we don't pray. I don't want what you have. Yes? But here's how good God is. That kid was walking after it in the movie, and he put his hand in his pocket, and he pulled out a $1,000 check from his daddy. God still does that, right? That's still so good when we're knuckleheads. All right. Let's end with this. Two things here. There's a quote that I like by a guy named Leonard Ravenhill. Powerful man. He said this. Leonard said this. He said, a holy man cannot live in the closet, but he can't live without it. A holy man cannot live in the closet, meaning they can't just live there and, uh, you know, come a monk. God didn't call us to be monks. But guess what? But we can't live without those moments of being with him. So, you know, just a thought here, random. You ever thought why Peter's shadow healed the sick? Because whose shadow he was under. All right, so three things. You can stand to your feet, please. Three things. Real fast. If you and I are going to dwell in the secret place, if we're going to um, pursue the abiding of just what it means to be with him, 
Because all those stories that we read up top, you know, whatever, I kind of mumbled my way through them. But all those stories we talked about up top, guess what? Those people aren't any more special than you. Are, are you hearing me? You know, it's so easy to get enamored by all of these people. And the, at the end of the day, they're people. You know, even, listen, we just talked about Peter. What did Peter say? The man landed at his feet and worshipped him. He said, brother, I'm a man just like you. Get up. Just like you. What does it say about Elijah? A man basically what? Of the same nature. That here's a you know, guy that prayed and, and heaven stopped raining for three and a half years, right? And the reason he did that is because Baal was what? The god of the rain. So in the face of Baal, he slapped it at him. He took away what he was known for. God's like that. And so, but the, the point is, at the end of the day, guess what? The same God lives inside of us that lived inside of them. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells within you. Yes? All, there's nothing special. All it is is those people paid the price to get it. They married themselves to the secret place. Right? And that's why. So what happens is, is because they spent time there, heaven responds. Right? It's the whole thing of that if we ask in faith. We could go a hundred places. All right, here we go. Let me let me land this thing. I'm going to preach for another hour. Here we go. All right, so here's what we need to do, okay? Number one, just want to encourage you. If you're going to abide in the secret place, then you need to be willing to get out of your comfort zones. We all got them, right? You need to be willing to get our comfort zones. And, uh, you know, truth is, is God will force us there if we pay attention. What I mean by force is he'll lead us. In other words, God has a great way of putting questions and desires in our heart to kind of back us up against the wall so he can show us who he is. You you know, are we foolish enough to think that Moses came up with the thought, God, show me your glory. That thought originated with God. God planted in his heart because what happened? His father really just wanted to show him his glory. Why? Because he was a friend, right, of God. He talked face to face. God wanted to reveal more, another facet of who he is to him. That's what happens when you... um, Dwell in the secret place. Are you following me? Yes. The second thing we got to do is we got to start praying for the right reasons. And what I mean by that is this: is is quit praying because it's a crisis. It's fine to pray in those moments, but quit making that your motivation. Your motivation should be just to want to know Him. That's it. When you come with that kind of heart, He'll gladly hear anything else you want to say or ask. Okay. But but it's like you know if I can, and I'm not trying to dumb down God or, or, or bring Him down to our level. But, but you that, once again, have kids or you got a friend, how many times that you hate that? Let me say it this way. Here's a great example. How many of you guys, by a show of hands, even if they're in the room, okay, by a show of hands have had a friend that the only time they called is when they needed something from you? How much did you like answering that phone when they called? Truth. It's them again. It's them again. <laughs> Help me, Jesus, right? So, but, but the thing is, is guess what? We don't need to be, we don't need to treat God that way either. But the only time we come is when we need something. Okay. The third one is this, and this is really simple, but it's hard. We got to quit making excuses of why we can't. Right. Cause we all, we listen, the, if we don't have an excuse, the devil will give us one to not go be with him. We just got to say, you know what? I just got to make time. Let me go be with him. You, you know, I, I'll tell you what, for me, I kind of alluded early in joking way, but I just hate waking up early. I got four kids, half of them in the bed with me every night. You know, thank God I have a wife that's amazing and she deals with them throughout the night. Uh, but help me, God. It's hard to sleep when you got that knee in your rib. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, and they're laying all on your head and stuff. Yeah, anyways, his name is Jude, if you were wondering. All right. So and then and then we had one that I won't tell, but, but he used to climb in the bed all the time and, and just pee. Because he would wake up in the middle of the night. I'm probably in trouble for this. But he would wake up in the middle of the night because he had to pee. Instead of going to the bathroom and peeing, he would come in our bed and then he would. God bless you. Listen, the the awesome part is when it's at night and you're so tired and you roll over and you land in it. You're like, who cares? Just roll back over. (laughs) And you're like, I'll deal with it in the morning. Been there. All right. Anyways, we're digressing. All right. So. So we got to be willing to get out of our comfort zone. We got to pray for the right reason and we got to quit making excuses. We just got to listen. Just say, God, help me be committed to the secret place and say, Holy Spirit, what do I need to change in my life to change my priorities? Let me, let me ask you wide open, every eye closed. What do you need to change?
What do you need to change so you can be a person who's married to the secret place? If you allow the Holy Spirit, he'll speak to you and tell you, hey, this needs to shift. That needs to shift. The truth is, is in all of our hearts, we really want to be that person. We all do. And we want to do it for the right reasons. We all know what he did for us. We just got to make room. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you today for your word. And Lord, I, I just thank you, God, according to Isaiah. Your word doesn't return void. Uh, but, Lord, you have such a, an amazing ability to allow your word to hit precisely where it needs to. God, you never miss the mark. You never miss the target. So, Father, thank you for letting what needs to land from you today in our hearts. And, Father, I just ask, God, for every one of these people, God, whatever they need to change, whatever they need to shift, so they can be a person of the secret place, Father, I ask you to do so. Thank you, God. Father, teach us how to shut the door so we can shut out all the distractions and we can shut ourselves in with you. And, Father, help us have the faith that when we do that, what a simple act. Um, But, Lord, let it be a declaration, God, and let us believe that the moment we shut that door, that we're standing in your throne room. And, Father, let us come before you boldly, not as beggars, but as children. God, let us come as people who love just to be with you. Not because we have a list of 5,000 things we need to ask for. So, Lord, would you bring us back? God, would you just bring us back to the heart of what the prayer closet really is supposed to be like? And give us the courage and the discipline, God, to go there. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.